Welcome to Destination Murder, the true crime podcast. Each week, the hosts, that's us, BFS Megan and Tegan, cover stories from a new part of the world. Get ready to combat your travel bug and feed your true crime obsession. Hey, Tegan. Hey, Megan. How's it going? It's going. <laughs> Tegan, before we started, she's like, I've been up for four and a half hours and it's only 10.30 a.m. right now. So she's been up s- since six in the morning. Yeah. Um, alcohol is uh, a- an upper and a downer. <laughs> um, so that's why you get that burst of energy when you wake up the first time because you're like, mm, mm, mm. And then you typically crash about four hours later. <laughs> yeah, four hours later. <laughs> yeah, we we had some we had some drinks last night to celebrate our move. So nice. Yeah, it was good. It was lots of fun. Did I have maybe one too many tequilas? Yes. <laughs> Did I learn my lesson? No. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you never learn your lesson. Yeah, but it was fun. I got my couch this week, so I'm all moved Yeah, your in. couch is so nice. Yeah, I love it. It's comfy. I fell asleep on it already. <laughs> yeah, and you've got it perfectly because Tegan's apartment has a really nice view. I won't say where because it's very... <laughs> if you saw the view and you lived in the Vancouver region, you would know yeah. where she lives exactly. So we're not going to say it. <laughs> I've got a nice water view. <laughs> yeah, she has a nice view and the couch is like in front of like the floor to ceiling windows across the view it's very pretty yeah i love it your dream apartment (laughs) yeah it really is every single morning i wake up and i'm like how am i living here i don't understand it's so gorgeous and the sun rises um on my side so i see this beautiful sunrise every Mm -hmm. single morning so it's really great cute well uh, I think we have a couple new listeners, so hello to you all, and I realize we haven't really introduced the show in a while. We just kind of, like, get into it, knowing you, th- assuming you guys are all veterans. Yeah. But you might not be, so this is Destination Murder. I'm Megan. I'm Tegan. She's Tegan. Yes. This is my voice. <laughs> Listen to my voice. Um, but every week, we cover a new case from a different country, state, city, province, town, etc. But at the end of each episode, we randomly pick the place where we'll go next week. Yeah. So it's been fun. This is episode 19 now, right? Oh my goodness. Is it? Yeah. Oh my God. We're almost at 20 episodes. We've been doing this for 20 weeks. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. That's a lie. I know. (laughs) That's like fi- in the five months. No. No. <laughs> also, if you're new here, we're really bad at math. No. If it's next week is 20 weeks and there's oh. four weeks a month. Okay. Well, <laughs> you were bad my at statement math. about us being really bad at math is still true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's five months, Megan. What? No. Yeah. Five. We started in October. October, November, December, January. That, that lines up. Okay, I just did the math the other day, and I was like, when is our sixth month? I thought it was May. No, it's March. Maybe I did my math wrong. I never know to count. It's like, do I count October and November, or do I just count November since we started in October? I go, 
when I count, I go October to November is one, November to December is two. Okay, I think I did that, but I just confused myself. Yeah, it's fine. We're not a math podcast, so... You wouldn't be listening if we were, Yeah. so... Sorry, Dad. (laughs) Many nights were spent crying at the dining room table. Clearly didn't get me very far. It's okay. I haven't needed math since... Uh, I was 17. Since you started this podcast and then started to need math. I mean, if I ever need math, I can just literally Google the answer. I've never needed it in a capacity where I actually have to know how to do it. (laughs) Sometimes um, I just do the times tables in my head. um, Why? (laughs) Just to check if I still know my mental math. Um. I also think it's funny that when we were growing up, teachers used to be like, you need to know this. You're not going to be able to carry a calculator around in your pocket. Now, what are teachers telling kids? Because they like all of them carry around calculators in their pockets. So they can't be like, you need to learn your mental math because you need to learn your mental math because your phone's not always going to be charged (laughs) in your pocket. That's probably it. I remember my grade seven teacher would say that. And I was like, I don't care. And I would keep like what we had desks that had an opening like at your stomach yeah they didn't like lift but you could just pull everything out from the front um so i would keep a calculator in there because i always knew i was bad at math and i was like we are allowed to use calculators in grade seven math i'm not gonna not use it for a test i'm just gonna cheat and keep it here yeah i only did it for the hard ones though (laughs) also though like i am so unconfident in my math skills that like if there was like part of the test where you were like two plus two equals four i would put that in the calculator just to double check because i really have no confidence when it comes to math anyways we've gotten sidetracked about math usually we keep the chit chat for afterwards because we know everyone likes to get right in to the cases um i'm first you're first where are you taking us i'm taking you to lebanon today oh nice nice i'm looking forward to it yes so today i'm taking you to lebanon and my sources this week are okay so there are a lot of sources that i have listed but none of them actually had a lot of information (laughs) so i like picked this case because i thought it was like an interesting story and then i realized that there wasn't a lot of information so it might be a little bit short this time but i think it'll still be fine uh, so my sources this week are a 1993 New York Times article by the Associated Press, Wikipedia page, uh, another Wikipedia page, another Wikipedia page, um, an obituary in the Independent newspaper by Professor John Carswell, a Washington Post article, and then the Wiki Wiki Up YouTube channel. So this is the life and death of Henri Philippe Faroun or Faroun. Um, there were both pronunciations online from what I could see, so I'll stick with uh, Faroon because that's what it looks like to me. Uh, so for the story, you'll need to know some of the history of 20th century Lebanon, so I will give you the very, very brief historical spark notes. Lebanon is a country in the Middle East along the Mediterranean Sea. To its north is Syria and to the east and south is Israel. Uh, for much of its history, to Two main religions have been present in the region of, like, in the country of Lebanon, which is Islam and Christianity. From the 16th century, 
1919, aka the end of World War One, Lebanon was part of the Ottoman Empire. After the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, Lebanon came under French rule until 1943, when it gained its independence. So, Henri-Philippe Faroun, or I guess Henri-Philippe Faroun, if you are more of an English speaker, <laughs> was born in 1901 in Alexandria, Egypt. Henri was born into a wealthy Lebanese Melkite Catholic family, so this means that his family were followers of the Greek Melkite Catholic Church in Lebanon, which is the third largest Christian denomination or Christian church in Lebanon. In 1905, his family moved to Beirut, Lebanon. Is it Beirut or Beirut? Because I've always said kind of like Beirut. I think it's Beirut. Okay. I don't know. I also clearly don't know Lebanon very well because I was really expecting, um, like, it to be, like, um, Islam and um, Judaism to be their main religions. Yeah, I think Judaism was, I couldn't find any information on, like, historical, but I believe, like, when Israel was founded, many of... Uh, the Jewish people in Lebanon likely moved to Israel. However, I have no idea. I'm just making that assumption because none of the historical stuff mentioned uh, Jewish people in Lebanon that I could see, but I would assume there were people there because there are people with many religions all places of the world. Wow, great insight, Megan. There are many (laughs) religions for many different people all around the world. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I'll just say Beirut, Beirut, um, I'll, I'll mix it up, I guess. Uh, so in 1905, his family moved to Beirut, Lebanon, where he was raised and taught within the Catholic Church. After grade school, he moved to Switzerland for college and then received a law degree from Lyon University in France. So I don't know if like the college in Switzerland was like high school because some places consider like call high school college so i don't know if he like went to both universities or just one or what's up with that i feel like a lot of like private high schools are called college in Europe. yeah and his family was like exorbitantly wealthy so that would probably that would make sense. sense it was like a boarding school so they call it college yeah exactly so in 1922, at 21 years old, he married a woman by the name of Noeli Kassar, who was an heiress of a wealthy Palestinian family from Jaffa. Also at this time, he was apparently the tennis national champion of Lebanon. So that's fun. He's so, like, good at everything, it kind of sounds like. That's what it seems like. <laughs> he would make me feel very inadequate if we were friends. I know. Just wait, it gets even, like, he he gets way more interesting. So throughout the 1920s, Faroon traveled to Syria to buy Arab horses. Thus began his obsession with horses and his habit of collecting racehorses. While he was in Syria, he was awestruck with the architecture and the interior design of the homes he stayed in and became interested in this as well. Because of his immense generational wealth, Faroon was pretty much the richest man in Lebanon throughout his entire life. While Faroon was interested in tennis and interior design and horses, as the years went on, he became exceedingly involved in politics. 
By the time the Second World War hit Europe, Faroon was well established within the political sphere in Lebanon. While France was occupied by Germany during the war, Lebanon gained a bit of independence with France um, preoccupied. However, the UK was worried about Nazi Germany taking control of the Middle East uh, because they were moving their supplies through Syria and Iraq, which I didn't know that happened in World War I or World War II. So it was kind of interesting to find out. So because the UK was worried about Nazi occupation in the Middle East, the UK sent troops to Syria and Lebanon, um, where there was then fighting. On November 26, 1941, a French army general announced that Lebanon would become independent. In 1943, elections in Lebanon were held and the new government decided to abolish the French rule. <laughs> but then France was like, wait, no, we're throwing you all in jail. You can't become independent. <laughs> um, but then after about a month, France backed down and Lebanon was allowed to stake its independence. At independence, Lebanon instituted a form of confessionalist government where multiple re religions and politics were mixed. Faroon was a key figure in establishing this, and thanks to his work, he's often considered the champion of peaceful existence between Christians and Muslims in Lebanon and kind of one of the father figures of independent Lebanon. And as if that wasn't enough, Faroon also designed the Lebanese flag, which is really cool. That is really cool. I know. So he's just, he's like the one person that you know that you can literally do everything. <laughs> so after designing the Lebanese flag, Faroon then went on and served as the Lebanese Minister of Foreign Affairs intermittently from 1945 to 1947. After that, he decided he was done with politics. So he returned to his uh, quote unquote business interests, which were um, collecting racehorses and interior design, as well as heading the bank that he had founded. <laughs> or maybe his father founded it. Every every one of my sources was like, oh yeah, the bank was founded by Henri Philippe Faroon in 1876. It was like, what, he wasn't alive in 1876. So I don't know <laughs> what's up with that. Wikipedia's not always consistent. Also, um, another sidebar um, but do you know who else is obsessed with horses? The, um, oh my god, is it the Prime Minister or the President of Turkmenistan? Oh yes! Obsessed. But yeah, maybe we, uh, I'll, um, post a link to the video of John Oliver talking about it because it's actually hilarious how obsessed he is with horses. Yeah, that's, that's a really funny John Oliver bit. Yeah, um, that's probably one of my favorites. But it's also kind of scary because he's like this scary dictator that forces everyone else in the country to be interested in horses because he is. <laughs> he spent $20 million on uh, a complex for horses that have like, has like a swimming pool, a track, <laughs> like... A swimming pool for horses? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's so strange. 20 million US dollars. So wow. Probably money that his his people needs, but that's a story for another time. Yeah. Um, I don't think Faroon did that, uh, but he would have used his own money to do it because he was very, very wealthy. Um, but yeah, so his bank was called the Bank Faroon and Shiha, I believe. 
So by the 1950s and 60s, Faroon owned the world's largest collection of Arabian racehorses. He owned over 300 of them. Why do you need that many horses? Because he was a wealthy man who liked doing it, so he could do that. Yeah, but like, you can't, that, that's basically like riding a different horse, basically every single day for the year. And how are you supposed to build a bond with your horse if you don't spend any time with it? See, I don't think he did that. I think he just raced them. So he would, like, pay jockeys to race them. That's stupid. Yeah, If you're going to have them. that many horses, you should like spending time with them. Or you could I'm give sure some did, to me so that I can ride them because I do like riding horses. Horses are, like, scary. I, I don't love know how to horses. read horses. I love horses. If given the opportunity, I would have been a horse girl. I, w- oh no, I, <laughs> I, I wanted to um, horseback ride when I was younger. Um, like, that was, like, something that I really wanted to do. I've been bucked off of a horse. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, my, um, some of my family in Australia, one of my uncles, he, now I can't remember the word, but basically they take wild horses and they train them to be, like, civil <laughs> Oh, like rideable they horses civilized wild horses um and so i was riding this horse that was still kind of had a wild spirit in him and i was riding with my cousin and he was kind of leading with his horse and his er, my horse didn't like that very much um because he wanted to be in charge and he, he wanted to be the alpha he got aggressive and i got bucked off and i like just like slid off the back and I ran over to my parents and I was like did you get a picture that was so cool and my mom was like no no <laughs> I thought you were going to die <laughs> like, oh yeah look my kid's about to die let me take a photo <laughs> they'll want to see this afterwards if they don't die I was like I'm gonna go back to school and tell all my friends and show them this picture about me riding a horse and then getting bucked off of it and now I don't have any photographic proof that that happened to me but it did We'll take your word for it. It's not like you can show the photo on the podcast for your proof, so. Uh, I'll see if I... I think I have some pictures of me riding the horse, though, so maybe I can post (laughs) post those. Okay. Yeah, so Faroon owned the world's largest collection of Arabian racehorses, over 300 in the 1950s and 60s. In the 1960s, the exorbitantly rich Faroon began to collect Islamic art, spurred by his interest in the Syrian architecture from his travels in the 1920s. He transformed his family home, which was built by his equally as wealthy father, like many years before, and renovated each room to be based off Syrian art and architecture. So... Comments online said that, like, reviews online said that his house looked like a hodgepodge of, like, really interesting architecture mixed with, like, all these different artifacts from, like, uh, the Middle East, uh, the Mediterranean, like, all of this different stuff. On April 13th, 1975, war breaks out in Lebanon. This was the beginning of the Lebanese Civil War, which was a 15-year conflict that saw multiple different skirmishes occur. Uh, During the war, the multi-sectarian government, which Faroon helped to design and set up with both Christians and Muslims governing, fell. 
basically years of building tensions outside Lebanon in both Israel and Palestine and the West with the Cold War kind of met in Lebanon and erupted in conflict in like a different way. During the war, Faroon stayed put in his house, even though it was described as one of the centers of fighting, and ultimately his house ended up being partially destroyed. He stubbornly told friends that if everyone just stayed at home, the war would be over. It sounds kind of like COVID. <laughs> yeah, you guys, if you just stay at home, the pandemic will be over. So he had the same kind of attitude towards the Lebanese civil war. He did not take sides in the fighting and instead was set on brokering peace between the two warring sides. In 1992, um, after the civil war had been over for many years, at 92 years of age, Faroon moved into the Carlton Hotel in Lebanon because he and his son had sold his family home with the hodgepodge of different architecture, architectural pieces and and stuff. He'd sold that to a Saudi prince or like the Saudi royal family. A year into living at the hotel, Faroon was murdered in his room. On August 6th, Faroon was found stabbed to death in his bed in his hotel room and his bodyguard and driver was found murdered nearby. Both of them were stabbed so severely so many times that police say they thought the bodies were at first riddled with bullets. Police were at a loss for suspects, but believed robbery might be the motive as there were some items missing from the hotel room. A man who used to work with him was arrested, but I believe he was ultimately let go because many people say the killer is still unknown to this day. And that's all the information I have on the murder. It was very just like, oh, his life was so extravagant and so interesting. Oh, yeah, and he was murdered. Um, so I don't know if they ever caught the killer. I don't know what the motive was. Um, nothing in English online specified. That's crazy. Yeah. So throughout his life, as you might expect, Froon gained international acclaim for his eccentricities. He was recognized as one of the most influential art collectors in the region and was well known within the collector community, let alone his contributions to Lebanese society and the country's independence. That is the life and death of Henri Philippe Faroun. That's really cool. I mean, it, not he's, the murder part. He, yeah, but. he sounds like an amazing person. He had an amazing life, but that's really sucks that that's like unsolved. Like that's just the end of that. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. And it's also very interesting because he was found in his room in a very high class hotel. Not like anyone could could just get in off the street. He was murdered so brutally. And it usually when that happens, it's very personal. Yeah. And the person doing it is very angry at the individual for some reason and they arrested someone for it but then didn't (laughs) like didn't i'm not quite sure but yeah so it's really scary that it seems like no one has actually been arrested and charged with his murder it's funny because i feel like with like high profile murders and stuff like that like it's either they like solve it right away or like it just goes like completely unknown because I feel like and it kind of almost feels like a cover-up like someone even higher up 
is like, no, we're not yeah. doing that. Not today. Yeah, maybe he made someone mad somehow throughout his life because he was such a high profile person. You know what it was probably? The... Oh my gosh. Was it the president? Yeah. Of Turkmenistan? Yeah. Because he wanted to, he actually has the most number of Arabian horses now, I believe. So maybe he wanted to acquire all of his race horses and be the number one um, Arabian horse person. And he just had, wow. had to get rid of him. That was the only option. We really, I really shouldn't be making these kinds of statements. <laughs> no, this is all joking, alleged. This yeah. is in, in no way real. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mean anything I just said. <laughs> or it's did a I? Joke. <laughs> For legal reasons, this is a joke. Yeah, really. Yeah. Did you just I don't know. burp and you're wafting away? No, there, I've got like fungus gnats in my room because I have so many plats and plants and one of them has fungus gnats oh, no. or something. So there's all these tiny little flies that fly around and they're really annoying. Last podcast, when you were talking, I actually sucked one up my nose. Do you remember that? Yes. And I just like coughed and stuff. Oh, it was horrible. It came back out, just letting everyone know. But that's the kind of stuff I have to deal with. It's um occupational hazards have you have you um doused your plants in um hydrogen peroxide not yet that's on my list of things to to do do. that's good i propagated some of my plants on the weekend and man let me tell you clipping off vines off of my pothos i was very nervous it was like cutting off one of my fingers was oh, like, I know. It's like I, I feel so bad. It's like I can't do this. I can't. I know. But I needed to because that's how you get it to grow into a nice big plant. But yeah, it was very scary. Alrighty, shall Where we get on to my case? I'm yes. taking us to Georgia, USA. Not to be confused with Georgia, the country. Like that one. <laughs> Trump supporter did at the U.S. Capitol riots. Did you see that? There was the Georgia flag, like the country of Georgia oh, flag. Yes. And everyone was like, oh, this guy really just Googled flag of Georgia into Amazon and bought the first one that popped up. People are dumb. That's all I can say. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I don't know. I feel like in America, they're so like flags. Like, every time that, like, I go down to the States, like, like the trip from, like, the Vancouver, the BC border down to the US, like, the landscape is very similar, but, like, I just know that I'm in the US. There's that one massive US flag, like, between Blaine and Bellingham. Mm -hmm. It's so big. Yeah. You immediately know when you're in the US because there's more people and there's a thousand flags yeah so um and like i know what the british columbia flag looks like because that's flown with like the canadian one in places that would have flags so it's kind of crazy to me that someone wouldn't know what their state flag looks like maybe the guy was actually from the country of georgia and he's like yes because there were like a bunch of different country and flags there but that yeah that was so funny to me just 
There were so many flags. I I um, have a subscription to the New York Times, and mm-hmm. they did a breakdown of all the different flags that was that were flown at the um, rallies the and the, the Capitol riot. Um, and it like was a breakdown of like all the different flags that like and like the racism <laughs> and like just awful things attached oh, to them. Oh yeah. All. There was, like, the KKK flag was there. Mm-hmm. And um, the Don't Tread on Us, which is, like, anti-black yeah. people. Just a whole lot of awful. Okay, anyways, enough about all that, because that's not the part of the U.S. that we're going to, because we're going to Georgia. And I will be covering the Stocking Strangler. Not sure if you know that one. No. Um... I listened to a podcast about it a while ago, and so it was kind of familiar when I found this case, Um, but it's pretty interesting. Um, So my sources for the week were Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and Vanity Fair. Um, So Carlton Michael Gary was an American serial killer convicted of the murders of three elderly women in Columbus, Georgia, between 1977 and 1978, though he he is suspected of at least four more murders. Carlton was born September 24th, 1950, in Columbus, Georgia. He was extremely bright with a high IQ, but unfortunately his family situation did not lead him to be able to use his intelligence wisely. Um, his father was a construction worker who wanted nothing to do with him and would not, um, accept any financial responsibility for Carlton. Um, he met his biological father once when he was 12, which is sad. Yeah, especially if the father then was like, I want nothing to do with you to a 12-year-old's face. Yeah, that must be, like, trauma and a half to unpack. Um... Carlton's mother was extremely poor, and as a result, they frequently relocated, and he was malnourished most of the time and was often left with his aunt or great-aunt. Both were maids for elderly, wealthy women. In elementary school, Carlton suffered a serious head trauma when he was knocked unconscious on a playground incident. So... Uh Uh-oh. We all know what that means. It's part of what makes a serial killer a serial killer or just a psychopath um in his teens he was a heavy drug user between the ages of 14 and 18 he was arrested numerous times for robbery arson and assault during that time he married a a woman named sheila and they had two kids and it didn't say when he got married, just in the span of the age of 14 to 18, he got married and had two kids. Oh my gosh. So I hope it was on the 18 side and not on the 14 side. Yeah, that would be really weird. That was probably illegal. So let's hope not. What year was this? Uh, like when was he born? 1950. Okay. So still a little bit, like if it was like the 20s, I'd be like, okay, that sort of makes sense. But that's still really young. Yeah. In 1970, he moved to Albany, New York, where he had plans to become a singer. Um, But he continued with his criminal activities. And I don't know why you would choose Albany, New York to start off your singing career. 
Um, mainly because I've never heard of Albany, New York before, and I feel like that's probably not the place to start off a career in the entertainment industry. Maybe New York, New York, or Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I've heard of Albany, but like only in like, oh, it. Yeah, just, just like, like someone's from there, not someone went there to get famous. Yeah, like it's like, oh, like I'm just taking a trip to Albany. Like it's not like. I think it's like upstate yeah. a little bit. Well, every, pretty much everything's, everything's upstate. upstate from New York City. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like not one of those places that like you're like New York, Albany. That's the first city that comes to mind. Is it upstate? Uh, well, I just looked it up, and the first thing that popped up was Albany, Oregon. Oh, it's the New York State Capitol. <laughs> but yes, it is upstate. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Geography at its finest. We've got flags. We've got horses. We've got capitals. We've got upstate New York. Oh my goodness. If this is your first episode, you are learning so much today. Yeah. And math. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so anyways, in May 1970, soon after Carlton moved to Albany, an elderly woman by the name of Marion Brewer was robbed and attacked in her hotel room. Two months later, um, Nellie Farmer, who was 85, was robbed in her apartment and strangled to death. After Carlton attempted to assault a third elderly woman, he was arrested and his fingerprints matched the ones left at the scene of Nellie Farmer's murder. Carlton admitted to having taken part in the robbery, but he claimed that his accomplice, John Lee Mitchell, was responsible for the actual murder. Um, Carlton testified against John in court, and John was charged despite no material evidence connecting him to the crime. Carlton was charged only with robbery, a sentence served in the, oh no, Onondaga County Correctional Institution in Jamesville. Sounds right to me. O-N-O-N-D-A-G-A. I'm sorry that I've mispronounced that. If you know Onondaga. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so if you're from there, you can let us know how it's pronounced. Uh, which is in Jamesville, New York. He was paroled in 1975 and moved to Syracuse, New York. Um, During the time he lived in Syracuse, two more elderly women were raped and strangled in their homes. One died, but the other survived. The attacks occurred within four days of each other, and the survivor was not able to identify Carlton positively as the crimes occurred in the dark. At least one of the victims was sure that her attacker was um, a mustachioed black man, um, and she was strangled with a scarf. Um, I've never heard the term mustachioed to describe someone who has a mustache. I know, but it makes sense. Sounds like mustachio. But it makes sense. He was mustached. He was mustachioed. So Carlton was never charged for any of these crimes, but instead sent back to prison for a parole violation um, and robbery after he was caught trying to sell coins stolen from the same apartment building as one of the surviving Syracuse victims. So, wait, how do you sell coins? Oh, I'm guessing they're like, you know, like coins, antique coins that people collect. 
Oh, okay. You know, not I like, like what, here's you a five cent use coin. Use the coins? No, like coin collectors. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, he stole coins from the same apartment building as the surviving Syracuse victim. So he was there. Um, and then on August 22nd, 1977, Carlton escaped from his low security prison by sawing through the bars of his cell and made it back to Columbus, Georgia. One, how did he get a saw or a material to make a saw um, that could cut through jail cell bars? Um, two, how did nobody notice he was doing that? Because that's like, what? Um, and three, like, just overall in general how that is so weird right i just don't get it it's like the other day with your case a couple episodes back where they murdered it, the turkey case they killed them in jail with guns yeah and we were like how did you get a gun it doesn't make any sense so one month after his escape on september 16th 1977 60 year old um Fern Jackson was raped, beat, and strangled to death with a nylon stocking at her home in Winton District, Columbus. Nine days later, 71-year-old Jean Dimstein was killed in similar fashion, followed by 89-year-old Florence Schiebel on October 21st, and 69-year-old Martha Thurmond uh, on October 25th. On December 28th, 74-year-old Kathleen Woodruff was raped and strangled to death. This time, there was no stocking left at the scene. So that's how he kind of got the name the stocking strangler, because he would st- strangle um, all of his victims with a scarf, and he would usually leave it on their neck. Or strangle them with stockings and would leave it on their neck. Oh, I see. I thought it was stocking as in, like, he stalked them. No, like, tights. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So two months later, February 12th, 1978, Ruth Schwab was attacked but fled after she triggered the her bedside alarm, which, what? what? Did she have, like, one of those, like, panic buttons in 1978? I don't know. Interesting. I wonder if it was, like, a pager type thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of kind of interesting. Or maybe she lived in, like, a nursing home and they had buttons? I don't know. But her attacker went two blocks down the road before breaking into another house and raping and strangling 78-year-old Midril, what? Mildred Borum. So that's not great. Um, the final victim was 61-year-old Janet Kofer, who was murdered on April 20th, 1978. Um, so... Police announced that they suspected an African-American man for the murders. Things became more complicated when the man um, calling himself the chairman of the forces of evil sent letters to the police and threatened to murder selected black women if the stalking strangler was not stopped. Um, One of the letters also named a woman who was supposedly being held by the forces, but she she had actually already been murdered by the man who called himself that the letters were written on army stationery, and the forces of evil killer was quickly identified as william hans a fort benning soldier 
Yeah, why would you write it on your army base stationery? I don't know. This kind of seems really not like the a smartest thing to do. Wanting to get caught kind of vibes. Um, he was trying to cover up three murders of his own by putting blame on to white vigilantes. Williams was arrested on April 4th and eventually tied to the murders of three sex workers. Um, one of whom, okay, this is disgusting. One of whom he had first knocked unconscious, then propped up against a tree and crushed her by driving a car into her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like. This is the army guy that did that? Yeah. So the army. So much anger. The army guy was basically trying to use the like uproar from all these old white women dying as like a form of like so he was trying to make it seem like there was a whole bunch of old white men who were getting mad that a whole bunch of old white women were getting murdered by black men so he tried to spin it but by doing that he actually made himself get caught by trying to like put the blame on somebody else because if he had probably just not sent letters to the police yeah who (laughs) knows I mean, it's a good thing he got caught. Yeah. Obviously. We're talking like, oh, he should have gotten away. But like, you know, he probably would have because he was murdering sex workers. So, like, he, like, really didn't do himself any favors with trying to get away from the police. Because we all know, back then, black sex workers were not of the utmost importance to the crime and justice system, unfortunately. No. Um, so when they had arrested him, um, they the police hoped that he was the stalking strangler, but their hopes were dashed when Janet Coffer was murdered because he was arrested April 4th and Janet was murdered April 20th. In December 1978, following a robbery in Gaffney, South Carolina, Carlton was arrested and he confessed and was sentenced to 21 years in prison for armed robbery. He escaped from custody on March 15, 1983 and remained at large for a year before he was apprehended. New evidence had come to light, including a gun that was tracked back to Carlton and a possible fingerprint match that led the police to believe that Gary was the serial killer they were looking for. So... The Columbus police had traced a handgun stolen from one of the victim's homes to Michigan, then back to Phoenix City, um, then to Alabama, just across the state line from Columbus, to a man named Jim Gary. Jim Gary told police that he had bought the gun for his cousin nephew... What? He'd bought the gun for his nephew, Carlton Gary. Carlton Gary was arrested. Overall, um, Carlton is alleged to having raped or murdered seven elderly women between 1977 and 1978 in Columbus, known there as the Stalking Stranglers. In three of the cases, he was convicted of beating and sexually assaulting and strangling the victims, mostly by using uh, stockings. Two of the survivors testified that he had strangled them to unconsciousness before raping or attempting to rape them. The one Georgia survivor positively identified him as her attacker in court. However, she had previously positively identified three other black men as her attacker and in her initial statement had indicated that it was too dark to even distinguish the race of her attacker. 
His fingerprints were found at four of the crime scenes. Carlton was indicted for the murders on May 5th and was convicted on August 26, 1986. The jury convicted him of all counts, deliberating for three hours before his penalty was fixed to death. Wow. Okay, now comes the controversy. Oh. Um, so questions have been raised over um, the propriety of Carlton's convictions. According to a group of supporters and a book by investigative journalist David Rose, Carlton's lawyer um, was refused state funding to carry out defense. There is also evidence that Gary's fingerprints were not held to match the crime scene prints until seven years after. Whoa! When the case was re-examined. Despite Carlton having been printed uh, um, just one year after the murder. So he didn't get his fingerprints, like, like prints taken until a year after the murders happened. And then they weren't, like, cross-referenced to... until seven years after that. It seems like they're just trying to pin it on him. They also claim Carlton's interview at which he supposedly confessed was not recorded, nor were notes taken, and his confession was written by a police officer in the days following the interview from his own recollection. Mm -hmm. When submitted as evidence, the confession was unsigned and undated, and Carlton denied making it. They alleged Carlton's semen antigen secretion did not match the perpetrator's, Furthermore, a cast made from a bite wound on a victim allegedly did not match Carlton's bite mark pattern, although it was noted that he had had dental work in prison subsequent to the victim's death. Hmm. Uh, His supporters claim that the prosecution withheld this evidence at trial. That doesn't look very good for the um, prosecution. No, it does not. Um, In David's book, um, he also links prosecutors, judges, and police who worked on the case to white-only organizations, um, one such called the Big Eddie Club, and traces the history of racial injustice in Columbus, including the role of the judge's family members in lynchings and other injustices in the city. (gasps) Yeah. What? How was that person a judge? Uh, It was 1978. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was 1978. I can't tell you the things I don't know the answer to, Megan. Yeah. Um, so there are still people in Columbus who insist that he's not the stalking strangler. Part of this has to do with Gary's personality and looks. Better than average IQ, he's got an IQ of 115. Um, he had what a number of friends and acquaintances called star quality, which is not uncommon in characteristics of certain types of serial killers. Um, Mm. the other thing that I will mention too, is that serial killers also typically, um, murder people of their same ethnic background. So it's very weird for a black man to commit, um, a serial murders on white women. So there's that. That's what I thought too. Although you mentioned that like his grandma and aunt were like maids to very wealthy white women Mm -hmm. so there could be a connection there where he yeah is like angry at them or something there's also all of the survivors 
say that it was too dark to even tell what race the person yeah. was. So to positively identify him. It's kind of kind of interesting. Um, in 2007, Carlton was positively linked through DNA to the rape and murder case of white 40-year-old Marion Fisher. Marion was raped and murdered after leaving a bar in Nedrow, New York in 1975. On December 1st, 2009, the Supreme Court refused to hear Carlton's last appeal, um, clearing the way for an execution date to be set. On December 4th, a court set uh, the date for December 16th. Um, On December 15th, the State Board of Pardons and Parolees denied a request to stay his extension, or stay his execution. Um, On December 16th, only hours before the execution, the Georgia Supreme Court halted the execution to hold a hearing to determine whether DNA tests should be conducted to determine Carlton's guilt or innocence. Don't know how that went, though, because on February 23rd, 2018, the new execution date was set for March 15th, 2018. On March 15th, 2018, Carlton Gary was executed by lethal injection and died at 10.33 p.m. and declined to make a final statement. And that is the Stalking Strangler case. Wow. Yeah, so I don't really know where I stand with it because part of me is like, he was kind of connected to them, but also at the same time, was he connected to all of them? And, like, if he, like, was strangling people with stockings and only, like, three of the seven were strangled like that, could there possibly be two different murders happening? Because if his M.O. and, like, his, like, signature is to, like, leave a yeah stockings tied around his victim's neck and then he only does that for like half of them yeah i like how would they definitively link them all together right crazy it's yeah he was linked to them but then there's so much anti-black racism within that institution of the like prosecution and the judge having connections to to literal lynchings yeah that makes me not trust anything that the police or the like prosecution presented yeah because they clearly have um they clearly have a biased opinion yeah (sighs) i hope that they did not uh execute a innocent person um but yeah i don't know where i kind of stand on this case of if he did it or not let us uh, let us know what you think. Message us on Instagram or um, email us. Just let us know what you think. Um, happy things. Yes. Um, do you have any Harry Styles updates? No. Unfortunately not. Just that he's cute as heck. <laughs> yeah. There's a new brewery that opened up within walking distance of my house. Which is amazing. I want to go. I saw you posted about it the other day and it looks cool. Beers were good. Yeah, yeah they're really good. Cool. I have to check it out. Definitely do. It's so exciting though because the area where I live, there's like, I don't know, there's nothing cool. <laughs> so finally there's something cool. 
Yeah, it's a little bit of, like, the downtown vibe and, like, actual not-in-the-suburbs uh, yeah. stuff now that um, that's there. Yeah, and it's nice to have a local spot. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't have a local spot. It was like, what, Cactus Club? Earl's? <laughs> yeah. No. We're not those people anymore. No. I do love a good Bellini, though. Uh, or a Brazilian. I will give you that. Yeah. The Brazilians are bomb.com. Yeah. I feel like every week we do this, we're like, well, anything happened in your life? Oh, Tegan moved? Anything else? No. No. We already talked about your couch at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. We already had a math lesson. What else is there to do? Oh, I I kind of have like a an update on The Sims. Ooh, yes, Toss. <laughs> so one of my friends, shout out Todd, um, just bought an apartment and he heard <laughs> us talk about The Sims on last episode. He's like, so are you going to di- like furnish my apartment for me on sims like and i was like yes send me the floor plan (laughs) so he sent me the floor plan and i'm gonna build it this weekend i love that yeah so um if you have any requests dm us on instagram i can make your house for you on the sims uh that's hilarious i i've been getting videos of my dog from my parents um I, I had a group chat with my, my parents about something else, and then I think my mom accidentally messaged our group chat instead of just messaging my dad, saying that she was going to take Daisy on a walk, our dog. And yeah. um, so I was like, can you send some pictures, please? So every, like, I got, like, probably seven or eight photos of, like, Daisy's smelling the snow. Daisy's on the <laughs> beach now. This is, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing up the stairs back to the house like it's just like that's so a cute. photo series of like their hour-long walk it was great that's so cute live live updates in real time yeah bentley my dog is getting so big i feel like she's just exploded with growth in the past week oh my goodness she's getting so heavy i like pick her up pick her up all the time i'm like i don't want you to get any bigger i'm not gonna be able to hold you anymore yeah it's like cool to see them grow but also at the same time you're like no stay small forever i know like i want you to be a puppy forever and ever and ever Mm. so i can't remember if i've talked about this before or not but i have decided that i'm going to date myself this year um no you haven't talked about that yet so um I've decided that I need to, like, learn how to spend some time with myself and be comfortable with just being present with myself. Um, So I take myself out on dates twice a month on my own because I am someone who never does anything alone. Even if it's, like, going to the grocery store, I'm like, who wants to come with me? (laughs) Yeah, I do that too. Um, So I... I'm going to go to a metaphysical store today and um, pick up some cool, cool little crystals and gems and see what they have. And um, yeah, just going to spend some time with myself. That's my plan. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I need to do that too because I'm exactly like that. I'm like, I need to go somewhere. Who wants to come? Right. And the longest relationship you're going to have with anyone in your life is with yourself. So should start 
enjoying your time with yourself. Yes. Oh, I also have another update. I decided I'm going to start roller skating. <gasps> yes. I have a pair of roller skates that I want. Where are they from? It starts with a T. No, no, it doesn't. I, I was thinking of Tame Impala. The, it's called Impala Skates. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they're, like, really good skates, and they're, like, not as expensive as, like, all the other ones. So mm-hmm. they're, like, a hundred bucks for a set of skates, but, like, they're, like, kind of equivalent to, like, the skates that are in, like, the $300 price range. Oh, wow. And they're really cute. I w- I'll have to check them out. Yeah, I looked up, there's a, there's a store in Vancouver called, like, Roller Girl or something, and they had s- skates, so I was, like, looking at those, but... I just didn't know where to start, like, where to buy skates because they are quite expensive. Um, yeah, and you want to make so I didn't sure they just, fit. Like, yeah, I didn't want to just go into it and be like, oh, these don't work for me. So I have to do more research. But, yeah, um, there's, like, a bike path close to me, which the brewery is along. So I'm, like, in the summertime, I'm going to rollerblade, roller skate. But yeah, I was like, oh, I ha- I was like, anybody else want to roller skate with me? I will. Doing exactly the same thing <laughs> that you do at the grocery store. Um, are you thinking um like like inline skates or like no the cute ones? The cute ones. Okay, same. Inline skates are too aggressive. Like they look like they would too fast be too fast for me. I'm not that fast. They're too zoom zoom. That yeah. just made me trigger. A memory of when I was a child apparently and I kind of know this because I lived it but um do you remember the Mazda commercials just used to be zoom 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 I was obsessed with saying that I just remembered that zoom 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 yeah I it was like Mazda zoom zoom and then one time I went to visit my cousin in California and the commercial said Mazda zoom zoom and i was like what the heck is a mazda it's mazda ew i know mazda i got in a fight last night because um some people were trying to pronounce uh the key as the quay no yeah yeah that's what you get when you talk to people who don't aren't from uh the lower mainland originally they just don't know how to pronounce words properly yeah, so all of America, if you say Mazda, just know it's wrong. Yeah, Mazda. <laughs> and Q-U-A-Y spells key. Yeah. I saw what, I think it was at the same brewery, but they had a collab beer with, like, a brewery in the U.S., like in Oregon or something. And, oh, yeah, no, it was at a separate brewery we went to. But it was, like, something, something color, C-O-L-O-U-R. And they were talking about it, how they, it was a collab with their friends at a brewery in Oregon. And the last sentence was like, da 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 color or da 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 C O L O R if you spell the word incorrectly. <laughs> That's funny. <sighs> okay, well, I am crashing. Yeah, Tegan's crashing. She, we've gotten five hours out of her today. I think that might be all we get. Yeah. (laughs) So let's pull some countries. Sounds good. Okay, Deegan, are you ready to find out where you're going next week? Where am I going? You're going to the country of Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) 
Isn't that funny? Yes. This week I did Georgia and now I'm going, or Georgia, USA, and now I'm going to Georgia, the country. That's hilarious. Okay, Tegan, want to know where I'm going? Yes, please. I'm going to Guernsey. Ooh. Which is I know where that is. (laughs) It's like a channel island off of France. Yeah. Um, a gaming YouTuber is from there. And Who? I've never been interested in gaming at all, especially watching it on YouTube. But he was cute, and so I watched <laughs> him. What kind of accent does he have? Uh, he's kind of, like, British. Okay. Um, do they speak French, or do they speak, like, English and French? Do you know? I don't know. Well, you're going to go to Georgia, and I'm going to go to Guernsey. Fun, fun so interested in knowing what Guernsey is. I wonder if it's like I'm going to find a lot of information like I did for Bhutan where it's just like country information get to know the country and then we'll talk about something random. Yeah. We'll see. Alrighty. Okay. Well thanks for listening. Um, If you're new here uh, we like to say or I like to say uh, we'll be in your ear holes next week. Um, and then I like to make things incredibly and un- incredibly awkward and just splurt out random words. Also, we say goodbye in um, the language that from the country that we visited. Yeah. So in Lebanon, they speak Arabic as well as English and French. So in Arabic, it is ma salamet. And in I believe. Georgia, they say goodbye, y'all. <laughs> goodbye, y'all. Goodbye, y'all. Au revoir. Goodbye. Au revoir. Arrivederci. If you speak Arabic, and I'm saying it wrong. Maslamati. I don't know if that's right. Um, if you're new here, you also realize that we make a lot of pronunciation errors yeah. because it comes with the territory of being a podcast where you cover cases with the language that you do not speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, bye, y'all. Goodbye. Arrivederci. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it means goodbye in Italian. Oh. <laughs> I think. Arrivederci. Arrivederci.